Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippos here. I'm Bob Wankel. Philly's coming off of a series in Arizona, a place that they never win. They can never figure it out. Against the first-place Diamondbacks team, they win three out of four games, three in a row. And, Anthony, things are rolling for this Phillies team. They are finally back over the 500 mark. It's been well over a month since then. And with a win in Oakland on Friday night, we are recording this on Friday morning, with a win in Oakland on Friday night, the Phillies will be at their high-water mark of the season, which is two games over 500. So they're rolling right now. And we'll bring you in here. And I guess, uh, you know, what a difference What a difference 15 days makes, you know? It's pretty incredible, right? I mean, it it's kind of funny because we sit we we would sit here and we would talk we would text for the last month and a half like questioning everything that Rob Thompson would say to us about like yeah it's coming don't worry it's coming this offense is going to be fine it's coming we're going to be okay you know we kept hearing oh you know when it get turns to june it'll be fine and it's like you didn't want to really believe that they had that light switch like like it's something that could just really happen like you, you wanted to say okay we hope it happens but you can't just rely on that and damn it he was right and damn it they've been right like they they got to this month and it was like all right boys time to play baseball season starts now and they just in the last 12 games they've been excellent 10 and 2 and it doesn't you know at the beginning of this streak we were like and eh, well they're beating up on the nationals and the tigers but you go five and two against the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. They're two of the three best teams in the National League record-wise, two of the top six in baseball record-wise, and and you just basically you, you should have swept Arizona, right? I mean, really, the thing about it, the one loss they should have won that game. Like that's that's it's unbelievable that they would just go out there and say, yeah, now it doesn't matter. We're just going to go out and we're just going to bludgeon you to death, like we like you all thought we were going to do all year. We just waited till June to do it. It's fascinating to me, and that's why I think we love talking about it and covering this team and being around it, because baseball always surprises you. And and we we were we've still been bullish. We still believe that this was a good enough team to make the playoffs. But I think that we started to kind of drift down a path, Bob, in recent weeks that we still believed in them, but we believed in them because the National League didn't run away from them so much as it was that they were just really good. And maybe it is that they're going to get into the playoffs because they are a really good team like we like we thought they should have been at the beginning of the year. We'll see. Still a lot of time to go, but the way that they've been playing lately, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe we were right at the beginning of the year more so than what we've been saying in the last few weeks. Well, I give them a lot of credit because I think coming into the month, given where they were at, 
the goal for me was get to 500 by July 1. Yeah. And if you can do that, we talked about how it would be a difficult road to do it. You know, it, w- it was not going to be easy to get there, but there was a path. And now you look up, you're midway through the month, and they've cleared that hurdle. Now you hope that they don't fall back, and they certainly have an opportunity here this weekend against a team that, frankly, is probably, when it's all said and done, going to compete to be one of the worst teams in in the history of the sport. And I do understand that they've played better, and we'll get to this in a little bit. They actually are throwing two decent starting pitching looks at the Phillies this weekend as well. So I don't want to just chalk this up to three straight wins, you know, book it, but The Phillies are in an advantageous spot here. And it's funny, though. You talked about where they started the season and how everything is just sort of turned on here in June. They're 10-4. and They've won 10 of their last 12. It kind of goes back to what we talked about, though, when things weren't going well. This idea of complacency. This idea of we're good enough that we can just turn it on. The idea of a hangover that it's not October. We don't have the same juice that we did last fall. All of those different criticisms, we talked about the psychological element of it. Is it hard to get yourself into that spot right off the jump? And it's disappointing that they didn't play well for two months. But do you think in hindsight now that we've seen this play out and you see this lineup starting to get things going, you're seeing some good things from the starting rotation, at least from the four spots that they actually have occupied. Do you kind of feel like, yeah, actually, you know what? This does give validity to that assertion that, these guys just weren't really dialed in from the jump or is it a matter of they needed 70 games to really get going? I mean, how do you look at it now? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talk about this in all sports, Bob, about how it's, it's why it's so hard to come back and have a, a good start to the following season after you've been to the, the final or the championship or the world series, whatever sport you're talking about. Right. Um, and it's difficult, right? I mean, it's it's difficult to, to – there's always that – that we always talk about the hangover, the letdown. And it's more so because of just how long you play and just how much more of the sport you're playing than everybody else from the season before. I mean, baseball is actually one of the easier ones when you think about it in the sense that it's only about five weeks more than everybody else. I mean, the NBA and the NHL, they go for two full months longer than the people that don't make the playoffs, right? You know, um, the NFL, you're playing sometimes four more football games, which is a lot in the, on the body, right? He just beat you up for another another month. Um, so so the, 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 there is something to that. And so when you say it took them, you know, 70 games to get started, okay, yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe it did. Maybe maybe they needed to kind of get through and just kind of – the fact that they were hanging around and just – preventing themselves from disaster maybe that's just all they needed until it really got rolling and and now here they are and they're and they're there i mean that could very well be the thing if they were a team that didn't make the playoffs last year and had the start that they had this year then we then we might be looking somewhere else we might try to find other reasons why they sucked for 50 games but the fact is is like you know you know what when you play into november and your body's not sh- getting the recovery that it needs, and then you're right back at it in February in in spring training. Yeah, maybe it does take that much time. So I think it's interesting to speculate and try to parse through what exactly happened here at the start. Why does it look so much different now? But I guess the more important question is this. Have they truly cleared the hurdle? Because I think if you revert back to right around when we had Caleb Cotham on the show, uh, you know, we talked about 
that was that was in the middle of the Houston series, and they had just gotten over 500 at that point, and we we're starting to feel good about where Aaron Nola was at. We saw some of the pitching coming around. The bullpen numbers had really turned around from their struggles the first couple weeks of the season. And he said, okay, these are the Phillies that I expected to see. They're fine. And then the month of May happens, and it's utterly dreadful. Do we feel like that, okay, they've, they've, they've gotten past all these early season issues, and from here on out, this is a march to the 88, 89, 90-type win season that we expected all along? Or do we think it's very possible that, yeah, you know what, there could be another two-week stretch. They dip back below 500. Like, my thing is, as I watch this now, I'm like, don't fall back below 500. I understand that you're going to hit some bumps in the road. Maybe you get three, four games up. Maybe you come back down. But don't go two, three, four games under 500 anymore. I think, I want to say I trust them to have cleared that hurdle. I'm curious to know what you yeah, think. Yeah, I do. I think so, too. I think that they've cleared that hurdle. Um you know, when you talked about Oakland playing better of late, and they are, and and they do have a couple of okay pitchers going this weekend, but you, they're going to win. The Phillies need to win this series. I mean, they're not going to. You can't lose a series to Oakland. Um, and so, even if you just win win the series and go two out of three, let's just say. Although I I do still think they're going to sweep them. I do. Um, but let's say if you can go two out of three, you're two games up, and then you come home to play Atlanta and the Mets. The Mets stink. Like, let's be honest, they stink, but they really do. So it really comes down to don't get swept at home by the Braves. As long as you don't get swept at home by the Braves, I think you're fine. And then you start looking into as the you know the rest of the month progresses and into, into July. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it does start to lighten up a little bit. And, and, and so you really shouldn't be in a situation where you find yourself losing five, six games in a row. Like, that's the that's really that really, really comes down to you, you've gotten those those bad stretches out of your system already you've had three of them this season so far i mean think about that the phillies are over 500 having lost five five and six games in a row at, at three different points during the season okay that's that's and 16 over three certain week three separate weeks <laughs> okay and they're a game over 500 still so it, it tells you a lot like just prevent that kind of bad run from happening and you'll be fine. You'll be able to climb the standings and climb and, and get that record, you know, moving north of 500 for the rest of the season. So then it, it kind of transitions and it pivots. And, and let's get to the Diamondback series. I don't want to yeah. get too far away here, but it, it kind of so you get to 500. Now you get over 500 and then you start to look at the, the field a little bit more. And I know that we've talked about where they're at in relation to other teams in the National League. What are they really dialed in on here? Is this is there an opportunity to possibly catch Atlanta? I, I think not personally. But then you look at the wild card landscape and they're starting to clear some other teams now. Like they just they just passed Milwaukee, who's at 500. They're tied now, or you know, both the, the Phillies and Pirates are each a game over 500. I would bet on the Phillies to outlast the Pirates in that scenario yeah. moving forward. Yeah. No, no offense to what the Pirates have accomplished this year. But they're sitting currently a game and a half out of the wild card. The Giants occupy the final spot at 36 and 32. If I'm not mistaken, the Giants and Dodgers play each other this weekend, the second and third teams in the NL West right now. So you kind of hope here, if you're a Phillies fan, and you're, you know, it's, it, I think it's, it's probably irresponsibly early to be worried about playoff positioning and are you in, are you out? But I also think when you put your head on the pillow at the end of the night, it's it's kind of nice to know, hey, if the season ended today, we're in. And they're they're starting to knock on that door now. 
Uh, you obviously have Miami uh, continues to play pretty well. I know they lost two out of three this week in Seattle, but again, they are a handful of games over 500. And I'm curious to see what ultimately becomes of the Diamondbacks. As I watch that series, I've told you numerous times, like I like that lineup. I, I, I think that they're a good team. You've talked about their pitching. The bullpen's not particularly special. The starting rotation, you get by one, two guys. You don't feel great about what you're seeing there. And this is the first time all season that you really saw some warts in that Arizona team. So, you know, do they start to come back to earth at a rapid pace now? Or are the Dodgers just going to sprint past them in the next two weeks? It's really kind of curious because the reason why I, I, I kind of fix it on the standings is because there's so many teams that remain in it. I mean, the, the new wildcard format last year kept a couple teams in it. Right now, 80% of the league is in it. Cincinnati a game under. I mean, so it's it's a really interesting – I don't want to use the word race yet, but it, it's it's an interesting field. It is. It is an interesting field. And I think that this is – I think you've nailed it here, Bob, because really when it comes down to it, to me there are three teams in the National League that are going to have a shot to go to the World Series. The Braves, who are to me the favorite, the Dodgers, and the Phillies. I, because I just don't think that anybody else has as complete a, a roster. Not to say that the Phillies are complete because they're not. And or the Braves and the and the and Mets, I mean uh, the Dodgers are not complete. They all they both have their their issues as well, but they're the most complete teams. Um, and you pointed out, like, look, I like Arizona too. I mean, you know, at the beginning of the year, I thought that they were an up-and-coming team. I thought that they would challenge a little bit in that division. But you're right. Their pitching is just – it's just not good enough. They remind me a lot of the of the, the Phillies when, they, when we thought that, you know, Gabe's first year, that maybe that they – you know, this is a team that can make a run and they look good for, you know, three months of the season and then all of a sudden the second half they fell off the map, right, and completely melted down at the end of the year um, in the sense that I think that they got off to such a good start and so they're going to be part of it. I just don't know that they have the pitching to hang in. They just don't. Um, so I so I think that, you know, and and you and you mentioned last episode, the Padres, I think, are, are going to probably. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you. I said, are we forgetting when you name the three teams that can go to the World Series in the National League? Do you think that we're overlooking the, the Padres? Uh, because they, like the Phillies, got off to a similar start. They weren't hitting. Everybody was just unbelievably surprised by that. Now they're only two games under. They're starting to come back a little bit. I know they lost last night to Cleveland, but they've gotten it together a little bit now. So do you do you still think that there's enough top end talent there where they can make a run as well? I, I'm I still don't love their pitching. Okay. I just I mean I I think that yeah I mean certainly their their lineup should be sensational and it's it's really the top half of that lineup. Yeah. I mean again like it, it's it's one of those ones where you look at it and you're like six seven eight nine I don't know about this yeah. but. One through five, it's about as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I just don't think that – I think are they uh, – do I think that they're a playoff caliber team? I do. And, of course, once you get in, anything can happen, right? So we saw that last year. So, I mean, yeah, I guess technically they could they could make a run. Um, but I put them – I put them a tier below. I just put them a tier below the top three – the top three teams in my mind. I know the Phillies are third in my mind. And I'm not, I don't want anybody to think that I'm sitting here saying, well, yeah, they're, they're, they're one, a one B one C they're not. I mean, the Braves are clearly one the Dodgers to me are two and the Phillies are three Padres are probably four in the national league in my mind. Okay. 
So that brings us to this this Diamondback series, and we've talked a lot about how much the Phillies have struggled in Arizona. I think the last time they won a series in Arizona was 2016, if I'm not mistaken. I know over the last handful of years, I looked it up the other day, they were 4-12 and in their last 16 games out there before this this week. And I mean, they've, they've struggled out there, and we all know it. It's been well established. And now you're playing a good Diamondbacks team, one that, that roughed you up here in Philadelphia uh, last month. So they go out, and, and you said it. They probably were in position to sweep this series. And uh, I, I kind of regret the fact that we didn't record after the opener because you, you get a 5-1 in that game. You come out, you build the early lead right away, and you say, all right, here we go. They're really, they're really clicking right now. And then, you know, Matt Strom's not very good. Uh, you have three, four relievers that back him up, none of which are your best arms. And you lose a game where you just – it's like, hey, if we don't score 12 runs, we're not winning tonight. Like It was just almost like you, you finish the game on Sunday. Rob Thompson tells you that we have everybody available that we want. And we're like even Alvarado. And you know, he says, hey, yeah, pro- probably. And we kind of you know all rolled our eyes at that, knew that they probably weren't going to use Alvarado on Monday night after throwing almost 30 pitches on Sunday. But I was a little bit surprised at how conservative they were, especially even when you got to the sixth inning, the game was tied. And you went back to Dylan Covey again for that second inning. That was the thing I really did not understand. I know that you're not going to roll out your best relievers in the third, fourth inning. But once that game turns to the back half, I was I was very, very surprised at the conservative nature with which they approached that game. Uh, that was probably my only criticism of the week. It's probably the one, the one negative or the one bad thing I could say about what the Phillies put out there. Uh, over the four game series against the Diamondbacks. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was a little perplexed by the bullpen decisions for that game. Um, I think they were exacerbated by, uh, you know, a couple of things. Um, the most important being, and this is just from talking to Rob a little bit. I don't think he wanted to go into a four-game series and burn his best relievers in the first game of a four-game series. Mm-hmm. And I think that he kind of felt that let's let's try and get through this with these other guys and make it happen. And if we can, bonus. If we don't, okay, that stinks. But we do have our top three pitchers going in the next three games. And we have we'll have our full complement of good relievers behind them. It, it, the question then becomes philosophy: Are you all about the win in the moment in you know for every game, and then decide you know worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow, I mean, yeah, you have to do that when the games matter in October, right? Because that's a big difference than than in June. But maybe in June you take the different approach and say, let's not worry about managing that way for a game in June. Let's make sure that we have the right people to have more of a long-term success. And it's funny because, you know, I had brought up to him and it was, we talked, you know, we talked about it on Twitter, but I had brought up to him during the Dodgers series about, Hey, there, you know, teams are starting to throw lefty openers against you with the lineup that you had. This was when he had Harper hitting three. And I said, is that something you're worried about? He said, no, we'll just adjust the lineup if we have to. And then the next day they adjusted the lineup, right? So, but he did point out when I asked that question, he said, hey, you know what, though? He said, we, the Dodgers used up all three of their lefties against us in that game. 
And then, of course, they went out and they signed, they, you know, called up Kalarik, so they added a fourth. Um, but the point was is that, you know, he was pointing out that Dave Roberts was managing those games to win each individual game in the moment and not think about the rest of the series. Maybe that helps the Phillies win two out of three, right? So maybe the fact that you go with lesser bullpen guys with a 5-1 lead and hope that they can hold on and they don't, but, you know, is why they are able to win three out of four in Arizona and maybe not split it. Yeah, and you certainly have the benefit of hindsight saying that, and, you know, it, it worked for them. And so if if you are going to tell me that they punted to an extent in that first game in order to end up ultimately winning the series, I, I can't argue with that because any any result of the Phillies walking out of there with three out of four I can't ultimately criticize it, but in the moment I did. And the only thing I will say, I'll concede that you go to Strom, he was not very good. You go to Marte, he was not very good. Then you pivot to Covey, he was okay for an inning, but not particularly good. And then Vasquez wasn't good. I mean, so you do need someone other than those those first three, four guys out of the bullpen, or I should say those top three, four guys out of the bullpen to pitch well. And if none of them are going to pitch well in a bullpen game at the start, at what point do you say we're not going to utilize additional resources in order to win this game at all costs? Right. And, you know, I think I guess that's ultimately what they did. I I was surprised that we got Kobe for the second inning in the sixth. I think that that like I didn't mind. I didn't mind Marte backing up Strom. That that didn't that did not bother me. But then you get through the fifth with Kobe. And I, I was surprised. I was surprised that we we then saw another inning of him. I, I guess that that did surprise me. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little perplexed as to what. Like, I'd rather see Hoffman in the sixth. Yeah. Than, than see Hoffman in mop up late. He, and I know that he had the blow up against the Dodgers on Saturday. I just, I just can't do. I know he's kind of become like the, the easy target. But I just can't like come on with the Dylan Kobe. Well, story, I don't understand. Man. I don't understand what they see in him that they're keeping him on the roster ahead of Brogdon and ahead of Marte, right? I mean, like I know that they want a guy who can potentially throw multiple innings, and they're you know they don't think Brogdon or Marte are there at this point, which is why they're down. You know, they, they you know Thompson said they want to make them guys who can throw two innings or three innings if need be. Okay, fine. Does that mean that Dylan Covey should be the guy protecting a lead, you know, or trying to hold on to a, you know, keep the game close in the middle innings against a really good team? I, I don't know. That that that's where I that's where I agree with you, and I kind of like eh, I'm not so not so sure that was the right thing to do. But yeah, Mar- Marte is a really interesting study. I mean, there's there's games where you look at him and say, wow, this this guy has, a, a, you know. I don't want to say elite level stuff, but stuff that really can play late in games and he can get important outs for you. Brogdon. I will say this. I've talked to some people. I'm not trying to be like cute here, but I've talked to some people and they've echoed exactly what we've said on this show, which is not always the case. And I will talk a little bit about that later on. I actually received some pushback uh, from, from a couple of my takes here recently, some criticism, if you will. But they said, you know, they they killed Brogdon. Like they they literally killed Brogdon in the month of May. Like they need to reset him. They need to let him kind of physically, I think, get a breather, mentally reset himself. And uh, you know that the 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 two people I talked to were kind of in favor of sending him down because 
and it was easy to see he was not himself right um and then he you know they equated it to the bloody thing which we also talked about in the month of april right. like they're going to kill this guy so I, I get what they're doing with with not having those guys up on the roster at the moment, but again, just I, I just for for me the the second inning there was just it was tough to swallow, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about the one the one bad thing when there were so many good things to talk about. And then you look at the rest of the series, really impressive job by them on Tuesday night to come out and they swing the bats really well. They kind of you, you probably felt like they let one get away from them the night before, so they come out with an emphatic statement type win in the second game. But where this whole thing really turns is the third game. And you get this start from Ranger Suarez, and he was so good. And and I think of all the things I saw this week, maybe other than JT Real Muto having the series that he had, <laughs> all the things I saw this week to say, maybe the Phillies are on a little bit of a different plane than, than we're giving them credit for, is what you saw from Ranger Suarez. Because those first four, four or five times we saw him were like, Man, like, did the workload, like, was it, like, the, is he the same guy? Like, is he kind of beat up from last year? Was the, how much of an impact is this delay at the start of the season going to have on him? Like, how long is this going to last? Is he ever going to be right this season? And now we've seen him take the ball three consecutive times here this month, and he's been sensational. Um, I just thought that that I, I, for me, I think that's where I go. Okay. Like we'll get to Aaron Nola in a moment. Cause we, we could not do a podcast without spending 10 minutes on Aaron Nola. And you know, that Zach Wheeler has kind of become Zach Wheeler again. We'll see where Taiwan Walker's at tonight, but you feel pretty good about his overall direction to see Suarez throw the ball the way he did against that offense was, I thought um, for the lack of a better word as a fan, exciting. I thought it was an exciting development. Yeah. He pitched great. I mean, there, there's no other there's no other way to describe it. I mean, and it's and it's not just that start. I mean, if you go back to his last few starts, it's just each one. It's he's cool as a cucumber, man. I mean, he, nothing rattles him. Give up a hit, no big deal. Give up a run, no big deal. He's just a guy that's going to go out there and just pitch. And you know, he's now touching. 95 bob and that's yeah. not a thing that was ranger suarez before ranger was more about you know keeping the ball down you know forcing you know weak contact whatever he's now able to throw a 95 mile per 95 mile per hour fastball at the top of the zone and and that's that's an addition to him and that makes him i think even better um and so yeah i mean i you know I, all the superlatives you can come up with to to describe ranger suarez are are so well deserved at this point because he's really come out of this you know the injury and the first few starts and and become the pitcher we had all hoped maybe even better than we had hoped he would be so here he is in the month of june three starts 20 innings pitch uh 222 batting average against 1.05 whip 0 0.90 era uh yeah Pretty, pretty, pretty good. So <laughs> I will then tie in the, the other point. They, they caught a break in extra innings with the flare from Trey Turner. You get the right fielder, second baseman running into one another ball falls, second and third. They, they hit the, uh, they get the sack fly from there. So they catch a break. So acknowledgement to that, to that end. But I, I will say you see Sir Anthony Dominguez, who had been really good for, for about five weeks. He gives up the three-run homer on Wednesday night, and you go, "Damn!" And I think there's two things that can be true, you know, at the same time with with him. Is he the guy that he was a year ago when he was at his best? 
no, like the swing and miss stuff isn't quite the same. He's just, you kind of feel like he's, he's feeling his way through some of his appearances, but overall he's still been very effective. I was extremely impressed that they came back less than 24 hours and he came back and that they gave him an opportunity to do it less than 24 hours later, after he gives up the three on Homer to Walker on Wednesday night, they bring him in in a tight spot again, and they say, "Here you go, yeah, go get him." And he did, and he responds. He strikes out Walker and Guriel, yeah. and he was nasty. And I think that one, it says a lot about him. But two, I think that when you talk about the Phillies and the the coaching staff trusting the players to to give him that opportunity, we're not going to let you think about this for two nights. We're not going to let you take this with you. Go get him. You can beat him, and he does. When you talk about the the players and the way they feel about Rob and and all that that storyline that narrative that's been played up over the last year plus now, that's that's a tangible example that points exactly to that. Exactly, and you, you said you said it perfectly because if you don't go to Dominguez there, let's say let's say you go to Kimbrel, I guess in that spot because you wanted a right hander, right? Um, what does what does that say to Sir Anthony? What what's in his head now? All of a sudden, I've I've been great for for so long. I had one bad pitch and a bad outing, and now all of a sudden I'm out of a role. You know, I'm not the guy that they're going to go to in this spot. So I think that that's it's really huge, and, and that's that's managing with feel a little bit, and it's you know, and and but at the same time, it builds that equity with your players that over the course of the year you're going to give them the the opportunity to shine you know more often than fail and and that's the most important thing you always hear coaches say you know we got to put our players in position you know to to succeed or make plays or whatever that's an example of it and and you know it's a, it's it may be a coaching cliche to say that but it's but it's a legitimate thing that they have to do and that was a perfect example of it and Dominguez responded it was perfect it was it went exactly as planned now that said if Dominguez comes in and gets gives up another home run or blows the lead or whatever we probably have a whole different uh, you know approach to the way we're talking about this but at this well, we're, we're prisoners of the moment yeah. we're we are bound to outcomes yeah you know <laughs> so yeah. it, it's it's a fun story to tell and it's a, a nice little round of applause that we can give here but yes if walker beats him again you go, what are they doing why would they go back to him it's a terrible matchup <laughs> you saw this it was even 24 hours ago yeah, so exactly I, i'm willing to admit that yeah certainly that that is fair um I, I want to get to some of the individual players, but one of the things I, I think we have to do here, we're right at about the 30-minute mark. We need to dive into what we saw in the finale. And you know, uh, I've uh, if you are a listener of our show, you know that I've, I've been, I would say, critical of Aaron Noll at times uh, over the years. Certainly this year, uh, I've expressed some concerns uh, on, on different levels. But I've also tried to be fair mm-hmm. in, in how I evaluate him. Like, do I... Do I think that he is a, a true ace, you know, and all that stuff that, that everyone here loves to talk about? I, I don't. I think he falls a little bit short of that. And that's just my general overall opinion. But everyone is, is just crushing this guy right now. Um, it hasn't been good. You look at the ERA. You look at the home runs. You know, 11 straight appearances now with the home run allowed. The Randy Wolf stat that, that everyone keeps talking about here the last day or so. And... There are, I think, valid criticisms. I, I don't think... So let me preface this. I received 
a notice last night and someone said like you you're doing what philly media does when you talk about aaron nola you you're feeding the like you're feeding into this yes you're 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 not looking at this with a fair and objective approach you're you're taking the low-hanging fruit here and you just you're giving people what they want when you say like this guy just isn't getting it done in big spots and i started to think about it and i said you know okay like i understand i I, we proceeded to have a conversation this is somebody that i have respect for and we started to talk about it and i said noted i hear you i i get it but i will say this it's a results-oriented league and whether or not it's fair, like whether or not you go through the grind, like you know the sport, you coach it, you play it, there is something to be said for the way that that fans feel, the way that media members are going to approach a story. And I know that it, you know, it's it's our job to to try to be as smart and fair and balanced as possible. But when you get the backdrop of a story about, hey, I think I'm worth this, Phillies aren't there. You come into the season and you're you're creating what I think is like a you're creating a conflict. When you when you say this is my value and then you don't deliver on that value, you're going to be more susceptible to criticism than you probably otherwise would have been. Now, I read Marcus Hayes' column. Did you? Yes. Do you think that was fair? No. Yeah, neither did I. And that's someone that as someone that has echoed the you need to figure it out sentiment. Um, I thought that that was kind of unfair. So I I'm setting the stage for this conversation by providing that backdrop. I have more to say, but I'm going to let you chime in now. It's funny because I feel like you, you may have been, uh, you know, when you were, the things you were saying at the beginning, I was like, has he been reading over my shoulder as I've been typing? Cause I have a story that's going up on crossing broad today about this, uh, because I've been saying the same thing and, and look, you're, there's no doubt about the fact that Aaron Nola has not been himself this year there's not there's is i mean and and the thing that they you know you heard ruben amaro talking about it for the first time during the broadcast yesterday about the difference between when he's pitching uh, out of the windup and versus how he's pitching out of the stretch and then you see zalecki put into his story um you know the differences between how he's pitching in those situations and the stark contrast between the two there's obviously something that's not right with when he's pitching out of the stretch he's his numbers are way the hell off when he's pitching out of the windup he's actually better than he's been in his career so it's kind of weird like how does this happen what's going on amaro thinks it's something mechanical so if it's something mechanical you assume okay that can be fixed right but we all we also live in a world where now everybody's on this thing where everything that's wrong with Aaron Nola is because he's thinking about his contract, because he's can't get over the fact that the pitch clock has changed, et cetera, et cetera. Just shut up and deal with it. Right. And that's kind of like the mentality that that the that this fan base has. And it was funny, Bob, because I was thinking about it. I was like looking looking around the league and I was like, you know, look at the, all the pitchers who were top ten in Cy Young in both leagues last year. Right. And I, I did the top 10 starters, American League, top 10 starters in the National League of those 20 guys, which is this includes Aaron Nola. OK, only five of them are on their similar pace or a little bit better than they were a year ago. The other 15 are just doing what, exactly what Aaron Nola is doing and looking like their numbers are terrible when, in fact, 
they're not terrible pitchers. They're just they're just adjusting. This is not an easy change for a pitcher when you've done it a certain way for so, so long and your body is trained to do it that way for so, so long. The one thing that 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 Marcus Hayes got right was when he was comparing pitchers to golfers, right? You that you you train your body to be able to do something a certain way for you know, for certain shots, you know, so that you can hit the green every time or whatever the case might be from a certain distance. It's the same thing. Well, then you have to recognize that it's not just Aaron Nola who is struggling with this, but that pitchers all across the game are. And so I think that that's, and I think that, and so the final thing is, is that that's where we have to pump the brakes a little bit to say, well, this guy just stinks and he's having a terrible year because he's got this contract on his mind. Well, maybe not. Maybe the reason he's struggling is because of the sport has made it harder for pitchers. And, and and I think that that's a fair thing to do. I mean, you could look at any of those guys. Look at Alcantara. Look at Verlander. You know, Manoa's got sent down. He's been so bad in Toronto, he got sent down. Dylan Cease, uh, Arias before he got hurt. You know, all these guys are worse than they were a year ago. Even Otani's numbers are, are not as good this year as they were right. last year. I mean, you just... It's just the nature of what's happening in the sport. So you got to you gotta have a little bit of grace, I think, in that regard. That's not an excuse. He, he, yes, he needs to be better. They all do, in all honesty. But it's at the, same, at the same point, you have to be able to step back and just say, okay, why is this happening? And, and is it something that can, over time, get better? And I think still it can. And listen, I, I agree, I hear you, and I think it's important to acknowledge the, the context of what other elite-level pitchers have done. I think it's important to acknowledge what has happened in the sport. I think that these are all fair points. Whether or not fans want to hear it, you know, whether or not the guy that works 10 hours a day comes home and he, he kicks up and he has his beer and he sees Aaron Nola unravel in the third inning, again, you know, I get that. But I also understand the fan frustration because it's the same conversation again and again. This conversation I had with this this person that I, I respect, but was kind of calling me a little bit, you know, he says, listen, guy, he, he hangs a pitch to a, a good hitter and he hit, hits a three-run homer. And by the way, he didn't get any help with his defense earlier in the inning. Like, you know, these guys get paid too. And I'm like, I agree with that. And I can acknowledge that in a vacuum. But when you look over start after start, and this thing kind of continues to happen. And even if there's valid explanations in a vacuum for each individual occurrence, you do have to acknowledge like it's the result is not there. It's, right. it's not what they want. You know, I think that Aaron Nola probably, you know, walks off the, the mound and says like, damn, I was pretty good today, but I still gave up four runs. It's not where I want to be. I think that internally they have to look at it and say, your process is good. We see so many great things. We've got to figure out how to clear this last hurdle. Like, There's nobody that's sitting there just high-fiving one another and saying, hey, your ERA is mid-four uh, and you're, you've given up another big-time home run. Awesome stuff. You know, right. like, so there's, so at what point is it fair to criticize? And, oh, you, you know, you talk about, well, go ahead. I think it is fair. I think it's fair to criticize, but I think it's, I think you have to criticize within the parameters of, of what's going on. I mean, it, so then let me ask you this. Is it fair to criticize? Is it, and, and seriously, is it fair to criticize nobody on base opposing hitters? 190 this season, 581 OPS. He's, he's been awesome. Yeah. He's been awesome. Runners on base, 304 batting average against and 904 OPS. Yeah. 
You're talking about one of the best starters in baseball, electric numbers with nobody on, one of the worst starters in baseball <laughs> with runners on. The, that That is, and that's over 15 starts. Yeah. So I, I think you have to be able to say, like, th- that's not good enough. Well, sure. And, and that's where and the like criticism, I, but that's, that's, and I think that that's fair, Bob. And I think that that's, if you're going to criticize Aaron Noll, you got to criticize on the, on those, that's specific. And it was fi- It was nice to finally hear, you know, the broadcast. You get, I, look, this is why I like Amaro. Like, he's willing to tell you what's not right. And he says, look, it's something mechanical in his delivery on out of the stretch. And, and you know, and, and then McCarthy asks him, he says, do you think he's tipping pitches? And he says, I, I would have to do a deeper dive into the video to see if he really is. He said, but even if he was tipping pitches, his stuff is good enough that he would get outs still. You know, he'd still get guys, even if they knew it was coming in, they would still make outs because of, you know, you're not going to know exactly where the curveball is going to break to, et cetera, et cetera. He said the problem is, and he showed the replay of the home run, is the pitch was just not a good pitch. And and so that is got to be able to, to deliver that pitch better. Now, you know, you, again, you look at the inning and you sit there and go, okay, Schwarber misplays a ball, right? And that so, so that's a run. That's a guaranteed run. Then he gives up two singles. One of them was a good single, but the other one was was a real soft contact. I think it was like a 68-mile-per-hour single, right? If I go back to StatCast, 68. Oh, no, that was the that was the McCarthy one. 73.2 on Geraldo Perdomo's uh single, right? So it's like so you got you got guys that are getting on base with with a little bit of again, a little bit of bad luck, partially on the pitcher, partially on the fact that it's bad luck. And then you hang a freaking cookie to Cattell Marte, who's a great hitter, and he freaking kills it. So that's the that's that's what kills you in that game. You have bad defense, a little bit of bad luck. And then you make a, a mistake that ends up killing you. If you get out of that inning only giving up a run or two runs, we're not having this conversation today. So it really comes down to that one or two pitches. And then other than that, he had, what, 17 swings and misses, nine strikeouts, really pitched well the other five. Is, is it fair to say it just feels like that that pitch for him this year, and this could just be a, a product of pure, purely shitty luck, but it just feels like that that mistake – it's killed him. Is coming Bad when times. things are kind of snowballing against him. Yes. And it's just like that mistake. And you could say, well, he, but he isn't making those mistakes all those other times. So the reason why you're fixating on this one one instance is because it, he made the mistake. But it just feels like, man, like of all the times in this game to have given up that that home run, throw that particular pitch, it was not a good pitch. It's not like he was no. it, that pitch and that result was not a product of bad luck. You're just like, damn. And it just feels like it's happened to him so much this year. But here's another way to look at his start yesterday. He goes six and two thirds innings. Here is everything he did yesterday with the third inning extracted. Five and two thirds innings, two hits, one walk, eight strikeouts. And the walk came in the seventh, and one of the hits he gave up was a bunt single. Yeah. So, I mean, he was that good. And then you look at the third inning, one inning pitched, obviously. Four hits allowed, four earned runs, the one being the three-run homer. And so you have just an, an outstanding start that gets muddied up by that, that stretch in the third inning, which was set on fire by the fact that Kyle Schwarber got a bad jump on a ball, and then he compounded the issue by just sort of – flipping his glove at it, trying to body it, and then it gets by him and it turns into a double. 
And that kind of just set the wheels in motion against Nola. There's another way to look at this, though. And, and you know, just to go a little bit deeper, because I, I want to be I want to be totally fair here. Talking about, you know, his performance and maybe what he's done and the, the result not matching it. Here he is. There's 33 qualified pitchers in the National League right now. Starting pitchers. He's 10th in war, according to fan graphs. He's 12th in expected ERA. But yet, of those 33 qualified starters, his ERA is 28th. So he's got the 12th best expected ERA, but he's got the 6th worst actual ERA. That is such a significant gap between expected outcome and reality and actuality. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. And you just go, uh, two other things that just really jump off the page at you. He's tied for 5th amongst all NL starters in WHIP right now with Zach Wheeler, 1.10, and he's ninth in batting average against. He's been hard to hit. hes I know that the control has gotten away from him at points, but he's still limiting base runners to an elite level. But, man, like when he puts them on, it hurts. Yeah, they, and they, and they that's come, what they've got to figure out. They come in that's bunches. what they've got to figure yeah. out here. you know. And I think that that is the fair and balanced Aaron Nola take. Like I, I don't know how else to say – this hasn't been good enough from a results level, but yeah, has he been the? Has it been somewhat of a product of bad luck? Sure, um, and is he doing a lot of really good things that I think are probably getting overlooked because we are sort of lazily saying like, "Well, he just can't bear down in big spots," and ah, oh, the contract and the pitch clock. Yeah, so to that person who, again, I respect who had some criticisms, I hear you. That's the best I can do for you. And that's fair, Bob. I, I don't think that you've been overtly critical of the guy on the on this show. I really don't. I think that you've been fair about it. Um, and and I think as someone who is viewed as an Aaron Nola defender, I, I, I think that those criticisms that you have had have been absolutely right. I mean, in, in this se- in within this season, when you're looking at it, this is what has to be fixed. And the only thing that I would say back is I do believe that this is something that can be fixed. I don't think that this is something that you sit there and go, oh, man, he just doesn't have the – he just doesn't oh, have no, the stairs. If, yeah. if you watch him pitch and you're telling yeah. me that your takeaway right now is he doesn't have it. He's not good anymore. Yeah. He's not a good – like. I don't think – and I think that that's actually what makes it more frustrating. <laughs> well, it, does. it does make you it said, frustrating, hey, Velocity's way down, way down. He's he's terrible with men on base. He's terrible from the windup. He he can't locate his pitches. But I, again, he he has that third inning. Comes back, he gets nine of the next ten guys. Yeah. You know, it, it's just it's it's been it's been something really really uh, kind of confounding to watch. And again, I'll just give you one more here. In June, now three starts, twenty innings pitch, one ninety two batting average against, one point zero zero WHIP. He's got a four five ERA. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it 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 just doesn't. It's an outlier for. It's a statistical outlier with Aaron Nola right now, and, and that's why I stand by my. That's why I remain bullish that this is a guy that's going to get it right because I think that these kids look. It either it's either going to be one of two things, either he just completely implodes right or he figures it out and he gets back to being himself i don't think there's i don't think you can live in this middle ground because the stats don't you don't i don't think that this i although i would say i, I 
I didn't think that this middle ground would continue to this point, but I, I agree with you. Something's got to give here. Right. Like there's no way he can continue to pitch this well to these results. Yes. Yes. And it's probably a comforting, comforting situation for the Phillies because they're sitting there and looking at this and saying, we have to make a decision on this guy. He's either going to show that his ask is legit or we can, we can reconvene in, in November and say, come on, man. Yeah. No, I, and that's a, someone. Someone's going to pay him. By the way, oh, of course, he's the second, he's the second best pitcher on the market after Otani. There's this idea. I heard someone say today. I was getting, I was getting my coffee, and I heard. I'm not going to say who I think it was because I can't, I can't say for sure. I was bouncing back and forth between the the two radio stations, and they're like, he he might have been, he might have cost himself forty million dollars this season in his next contract. Nope. I said, get, give me a fucking nope. break. <laughs> No. Because some team, it may not be here in like maybe the, the Philadelphia market can't appreciate greatness or, you know, this fan base is unrealistic or whatever, you know, that's a conversation for a different day. But there's a team out there that's watching this and diving into these numbers and and saying this guy's still going to be really good for four or five more years. We'll, we'll pay him, especially because look at the market yeah. again where you started this conversation. Step back get your nose out of just what you see here every day. There's nothing out there. Yeah. And every team needs. Well, that was another thing. That's another thing that I wanted to kind of dive into just kind of real quick, Bob, because I think that this is an interesting thing too. You know, we keep talking about the Phillies. Oh my God, they need a number five starter. They need the fifth pitcher. Right. And I, mm-hmm. so I, I, I literally went through every team in baseball. I went through every team and I said, who were their expected five starters to begin the season? And look at everybody from five on that has pitched for them, okay? So, in other words, the the fifth starter and then any other call-ups who have come up and made a start. This includes bullpen games, okay? Major League Baseball, all told, are 30 games under 500 with a 4.86 ERA and a 1.354 whip in games started by the guy who was originally going to be their fifth starter and anybody who's been given a start otherwise. <laughs> it's terrible. And there's nobody that's good. I mean, really, there is a, even good teams have struggled. The Tampa Bay Rays, who everybody looks at and says, oh, this is a this is a you know a team that that knows how to do their pitchers and everything else. First of all, they've used 13 starting pitchers this year. 13. Yeah. And and they said, well, it's because they do a lot of the opener thing, whatever. They've got nine pitchers on the injured list, six of them on the 60 day injured list. So let's keep that in mind, too. They've lost 17 games started by five plus in their rotation. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and the Phillies, their, their numbers are not good. We know this. OK, they're five and 14, five, six, oh, but their whip is actually league average it, it there. One point three, five, one. And the other thing about the Phillies is. They've thrown fewer innings than any than all but six teams with their five with their fifth starter plus whoever. They've only thrown right. 74 innings with those guys. You know, they're only Washington, the White Sox, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and San Francisco have less. Cleveland, for example, has thrown 220 some innings with their fifth starter plus. Like it's it's outrageous how bad pitching is in baseball this year and how yeah there's not a lot of depth and i would we it goes back to what we've talked about people are very critical about the phillies and their lack of a fifth starter and i get it because you you talk about the payroll you know the expectations i understand but i would argue and and i i know that 
you know, you had the conversation with Middleton back in March. He was concerned about the pitching, and we've talked about that numerous times on the show, but I would contest that they actually were probably better positioned from a fifth starter standpoint than most teams. Bailey Falter, nobody could in their right mind could have expected Bailey Falter to be that bad. And by the way, he continues to be terrible. Yeah. I don't know that you'll see him in a Phillies uniform. I don't again. think so. How about that? I don't think it's going to happen. I, I, I've heard multiple things that have led me to believe yeah. that. And I, I hate doing that. Like, I, I would love to be like, this is why I think that. Here's here's exactly why I've had these conversations with these people. Yeah. I can't. You can't, I can't say it. No, I, I can't do it. Yeah. But I've heard multiple things that make me feel like no shot. Yeah. Um, they they are going to take a different approach this weekend. I'm, I'm fairly certain. One, I think that they are concerned about the amount of volume and the way that they've utilized Matt Strom to this point. You see that his effectiveness has started to dwindle here recently. I, I think that you're going to see, I, I, I think it's going to be Sanchez. Yeah. Tomorrow. I'm fairly certain that that's what we're going to see. I mean, don't hold me to that, but I think that's the way it's going. But the point being between falter, uh, certainly uh, painter, even like the Nick Nelson Plasmeyer backup Sanchez, who I think we're going to see, like there were, reasonable options to pin down that fifth spot, especially because you thought it was going to be painter and then some mix of probably falter, you know, that's, that's two guys to hold down one spot, both of which you feel reasonably confident in. It hasn't worked out. Let me, let me th- so I, I just, I can't, I can't kill him. Although I admit it's embarrassing in the moment. I, I kind of understand how we've arrived. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's terrible all across the league, but let me throw something at you, Bob. And I think it's, this has kind of been flying under the radar a little bit. Um, but there was an update and I think it was, I saw it in Alex Coffey's story out of the Enquirer a few days ago where they asked about Noah song. She asked about mm-hmm. Noah song and it, you know, he's been throwing bullpens and an, a rehab assignment is coming soon. He has to, in order for the Phillies to hold on to Noah song, he's got to be on the roster for 90 days the major league roster for 90 days. Otherwise he goes, gets offered back to Boston. His not, that would mean in order for it to happen this year, he has to be on the active roster starting at the latest July 4th. Okay. Could you see if you're, if you're mapping out this fifth starter spot after, after tomorrow, they don't need it again till July 1st. Is it possible that Noah Song makes a couple of rehab starts, gets added to the active roster, and is a guy who's throwing you just that odd fifth start, couple of innings, three innings, and build, continue to build him up until you get to September, or until the trade, and really until the well, at least until the trade deadline, and then and but then <laughs> September the trade deadline, and there's not someone else. Well, here. like here's the thing. So here's here's what I. This is why I'm I'm not. What are you going to have to trade for a good pitcher at the trade deadline? Okay. And, and, and uh, you see where I'm going with yeah. this, right? Because there's only going to be a handful of decent pitchers that are going to be available. You have so many teams who consider themselves in this race. So the, the price is going to be a premium. You're going to have to give up on your young stud pitching prospects, at least one, if not two. To get a Marcus Stroman, you know, and if you don't want to go, would you trade? Would you trade Mick Abel for Marcus Stroman right now? I don't know. 
Because the only consideration, because I would, you want to say no. Yeah, I want to say no. I. But you also have to understand that. I mean, let's look realistically, and I know the Phillies are going to spend, and they have a new ownership structure that's going to allow them to continue to be aggressive. And as long as Bryce Harper's, I get all yeah. that. But if we're being honest, where this roster's at, and I know things can evolve, but 23, 24, 25. Like, you've probably got to win the World Series in the next three years. So do you take that all-in approach? And it doesn't have to be Abel, and it doesn't have to be Stroman, but do you take, you know, insert name here, McGarry, Abel, I guess it's got to include one of those two guys, because I don't think that they would go, I don't think Painter's going to be involved. So if you're talking about piece of significance and return it's going to have to include one of those two pitchers so philosophically do, do you say we've we've got to do this now or do you say hey we're a wild card team like we just can't do it we've this is why we're in this position we've got to like let's turn it over we're not going to resign Aaron Nola we need to take as many premium shots at a high upside starting pitcher moving forward we need all three of these guys in the system because we need two of them to the land. only way I would I would I think I would do it is if I knew I was getting a a quality starting pitcher for the top part of your rotation beyond this year. So right. some- and, and let's be honest, like Marcus Stroman's been great. Yeah. Lucas Giolito, we've talked about him. We, I like him a lot. Yeah. He's not Cliff Lee. This isn't 09 Cliff Lee. Right. You know? Right. So Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like like I, so what I'm saying what I'm kind of going at here, Bob, is I, I think the Phillies might zig while everybody else is zagging. Do you think they go like, hey, let's hope that Noah Song, Nick Nelson, recovered Andrew Painter down the stretch is enough in that fifth spot? We're going to hold on to our stuff. I I think that they might try and add a pitcher, but maybe not a guy that's like a top-end guy. I think you might see – how about this thought? Uh, I'm sorry. No, go like, ahead. Like, go like, ahead. Would you do a Drew Smiley again? Would you go that route? Like, I mean, like, like I'm, I'm saying, like, that's kind of where I think they might go. This is the question. This is this is the question. So I could see a scenario where the Phillies. <laughs> I probably regret saying this, but they are kind of middled, where they're not going to win the division, but they're clearly in the playoff field come the end of July. Like, yeah, they have a. They're five games up on the final wild card spot. They know they're gonna. They're going to make the playoffs. They don't need a premium pitcher to make the postseason, so they're not going to do that deal because there's not division championship potential. There's not. We're not going to make it if we don't do this potential. So what, let's say they land in that in between. Then they realize, well, we get to the playoffs. We don't need a fifth starter to compete in the postseason. But I go back to, like, I don't know who's going to be waiting for them on the other side, but I assume that if they make a run, you're going to have to get through the Los Angeles's of the world without home field advantage, the Atlanta's of the world without home field advantage. And then on the other side of it, you know, if it's Houston or whoever the hell comes out of the AL, Tampa Bay, whatever it is. Do you need another guy that you can pitch in game two or three other than what you have right now? Or do you feel like when you line up a Wheeler, a Nola, and a Suarez, and then, you know, a Walker is your fourth, I guess, is that going to be enough? Or do you need another guy that you're like game two potential? So I, so I think I think what ends up happening here is the course of the next six weeks, if you got to see how Nola and Walker are going, right? If they continue – if Walker continues to do what he's been doing and pitches pitches well, if Nola can can like we said adjust and get back to where he needs to be, then yeah, you don't need it. Like to me, you don't need. So when I mean zig rather than zag, 
maybe they they go out and spend on another big bat instead. They go get a player to add to the lineup and just say, we're, we're going to just beat the shit out of you. We're going to pummel you with our lineup. Maybe that's where they go and not necessarily for a top-end pitcher. I think that when you look at what they ha- the way things are going, if 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 you get Nola back to being Nola, which I again what we've already discussed, I think is is a possibility, and Taiwan Walker can continue to be what he's been of late. You don't really need it. Not to say you don't, you want to go with a bullpen game every fifth game. You don't. You don't want to tax your bullpen. But I do think that there are going to be some options coming that you can have that will get you through. I want to treat moving forward. The reality is that Andrew Painter is not a part of it. Like that's, I just think you have to look at it that way. I know he threw a bullpen earlier this week. He saw another one this weekend. He's progressing. Well, is there a world though, where he does come back and it's August 3rd and he makes a controlled eight starts down the stretch for him or for them five innings at a shot. And he becomes that guy. Like, is there any world in which he, a gets back and actually can provide the innings and then B is effective enough that he meets the hype in the middle of a stretch drive and then finds himself actually starting a playoff game. Like, how about that? If I were, if you're an odds maker right now, what are, what are the chances that we see Andrew Painter throw an inning in the postseason for the Phillies? That's, what, what do you that's think? That's a good question. Really? You don't have to even make it odds, but give me a percentage. I think then. it's, I think that I think it's better than 50%. Wow. Okay. I do. I think because that changes. I think that really changes the math of how you go about the trade deadline. Because if you think that he's going to be healthy enough and good enough that he warrants postseason innings, then there is a logjam because you're going to use Suarez, you're going to use Nola, you're going to use Wheeler, assuming no injuries here, and certainly one injury can change everything, right. and that, that needs to be acknowledged. But uh, yeah, then maybe you don't go for broke trying to add a, a top end starting pitcher, certainly one that doesn't have control beyond this season. Because you're you're likely going to lose one as is. Like so say you bring in like your Giolito, and then next season Giolito's gone, Nola's gone, and you've traded Abel, gets a little dicey. Right. I, I just think I just think that it's more I think it's more likely that they're gonna go with bats. And I'm not saying that they're not going to trade for a pitcher. I do think that they'll trade for somebody to kind of plug in on the back end if you need like a handful mm-hmm. of starts or whatever. But I don't think you're gonna. I don't think they're gonna target bigger name pitchers. I just don't. Well, especially with these numbers, uh, Philly starters during the month of June, highest or uh, best WAR, the most WAR, however you want to term that, uh, fourth best ERA, fielding independent pitching tied for first, batting average against best in baseball, one eighty seven, second best WHIP, best in the NL. It's an elite rotation, Anthony. Well, it's what they thought. That's what they thought it was going to be all. An elite along. rotation for two weeks. They, uh, uh, so I'm willing to look at the two week yeah. most recent sample size featuring the Detroit Tigers <laughs> and the Nationals, who put the ball in play. Not a terrible offense, yeah. uh, yeah. rather than the other two months. Listen, we we've eclipsed an hour, and we haven't even talked about certain things that that I think like have to be mentioned. And I don't know if you have anything else you want to hit on, but like I can rapid fire. Go ahead, let's do that. rapid fire. How do you have how do you have this show and not mention this stuff? But I'll I'll start with Bryson Stott last seven games hitting 444. He's 12 for 27, two home runs. He's hitting 333 in his last 15 games. He's hitting 333 in his last 30 games. Is he like 
tracking on the fringe of being an yes. all-star. I, this was this was going to be what I was going to say. It's like I've been pushing, you know, the buttons for say, hey, Castiano should be the Phillies all-star, and I. St- I don't think you have to. Yeah, go I ahead. still think he is. I don't think you have to push that hard though. Anymore. Right, I still think yeah. he is. But I think Bryson Stotten is now in the conversation as potential second all-star for this team, for sure. Especially at that position, which is not, you know, loaded with superstars in in the National League. Like, I think that that's a – he's, what, fifth in the league in hitting now, I think? Or fifth or sixth in the, in the National League in hitting? Um, and he's been he's been great. And, you know, best two-strike two, at two hitter in baseball, um, you know, both with batting average and number of hits, like – yeah, it's legit. I mean, I, I think that he is now creeped into that all-star conversation. I think he's going to have to have a, a very hot two weeks, though, here moving forward to actually do it. I, I just think it's like well, so so under the radar. Unless, again, Rob Thompson yes. will have some say on the roster. It's just I think I think he's like knocking on the door. I just don't know that he's walked the one The, the one thing that could that – could, blow it up is you know fan voting harper's what second currently of the, amongst the dhs yeah. like if he gets in you know you, you gotta put castellanos you're probably not taking stott at that point how do you view bryce harper i mean i think if you look at the numbers it's it's i don't think you can say as a designated hitter the bryce harper on merit in 2023 even acknowledging the remarkable effort to come back early as a national league all-star but do you want to see bryce harper in that game as a as a national fan i mean for phillies fans it's a slam dunk of course you do but that's i think where you have to kind of make a decision about what the all-star game is do i want to see bryce harper because he's one of the game's biggest stars and he's had a decent season sure does he deserve to be on that team as of this moment no no right Agreed. I, and I think I think that there are some things with Harper, and we talked about this before, like he's so talented that even when he's struggling, he's able to kind of do things here and there to kind of prevent the struggle from being like a real bad slump, you know? Yeah. But there are things... He's like, he's like hitting like 260 over his last 30 games. Yeah. He hasn't fallen off a cliff, but it's not... Right, exactly, exactly. But when you... So like, you know, you'll look at, at bats in a game and like three of them will be terrible, but then he'll get a key hit with runners in scoring positions, driving two runs, you know, and, and it's like, well, there's Harper. Like he's able to do those things, right? Yeah, he's not been himself the last few weeks. I think he's kind of, you know, got to play a little bit of catch up here. Um, but at the same time, because of how talented he is, he's. I don't think he's ever going to get to a point where he's going to have the struggles that you know Trey Turner had earlier this year or Real Muto had earlier this year. So, I mean, that's just Bryce who Bryce Harper is. So we have to talk about Nick Castellanos, and we've talked about him a lot on this show. You've advocated for him as an all-star. Uh, I do not think that that is a difficult case to make any longer. You look at his numbers this season, he's hitting 316, 855 OPS. He's fourth in batting average amongst National League hitters. He's fourth in hits, second in doubles, 13th in slugging percentage, 15th in overall OPS. It's a great story. It's a great turnaround. He's a hitter with a track record who went through a tough year in 2022. He's been so key for this team this season. If there's one Philadelphia Philly right now, on June 16th, it deserves to be an all-star. With all due respect to a number of other guys who have gotten things together here lately, it's Nick Castellanos. Uh, hands down. And it's been – you know what impresses me the most about him when I watch his at-bats now, Bob? And he still has you know that swing and miss. I mean, it's still there. It's just not as, as pronounced as it was a year ago. Um, but I think that he's a guy that you see – you know, he misses a pitch – 
or you know, it's like, oh man, you know, it's one like, ah, oh, he should have had that one. He should have made contact there. He's able to step back. He asks for that. Like he, I, I like when he asks for time. Like he asks for his time out in the right moments. And I find that a lot of the times, like you can see him processing it in that moment, and then gets right back in there. And so many times he comes right back and gets a hit. Like that's the thing. Like you last year, you would see that he would go up there and he would be totally guessing. And now I think that he's gotten to the point where he's able to focus really, really, I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's anything that they've done to really concentrate his focus, but it's, I think his focus at the plate is just so far better than it was a year ago. And that's, and I think that's making the difference for him from what he was to what he is. And we talked about the start that he got off to, and you look at his overall numbers, and I just rattled them off, and you say, okay, great, but it, how much of that was supported by the hot start? And it really, it really isn't. He's I mean, you look at his last, 15, his last 15 games, he's hitting 387 with a 1.025 <laughs> OPS. Yeah. I mean, he just keeps hitting. So he, uh, the consistency. He's got what, 80, the 85 hits, 86 hits, something like that? I still he's, 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 yeah, I know he's tracking 200. He's tracking 200. It hasn't happened since Rollins MVP season. I mean, that's 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 how good you know that for a Philly, I should say, that hasn't happened since Rollins MVP season. I mean, you know, is two hundred going to happen? Maybe, maybe not. But you know, if I would have told you the beginning of the year that he would be tracking for two hundred almost halfway through the year, you would have laughed at me. And now right. here he is. He is. He's tracking that. And, and really, if he could, we've got eighty. I think he's got eighty six hits through sixty nine games, right? So he doesn't even have to be on this pace to get to 200 at this point. He can actually slow down a little bit and hit 200. So, like, that's a, that's impressive to me. That's really impressive to me. And then the final guy that we have to talk about is is JT Romuto, <laughs> who finally ends. And I, I'm really happy for Jack Fritz, uh, the, the nightmare of the David Bell last Philly to hit for the cycle. That, that That's finally over yep. nine, 19 years later. We record Monday morning and we're talking about, now I'm going to take a little bit of a victory lap here because we're criticizing JT, but I'm also making the point that we were down this road before with him last year. Yeah. He, you wake up, it's, it's June 24th. He's got a 656 OPS. He's just not good anymore. Is it over? And then the second half of the season, Philly's MVP. We record Monday morning. And he has a 709 OPS. He's coming off of a day off Sunday and an 0 for 3 against the Dodgers on Saturday. Since then, since then, he has raised his OPS by uh, some quick math here. I believe 85, 85 points, <laughs> 794. He's a borderline all-star, and he did it in three games. So I love the fact that they gave him because my point on the show Monday was that they need to start giving him more days off. Yeah. He's caught more innings over the last three years than anybody by like a wide margin. I don't know the numbers, so I'm not going to guess, but it's like, I think well over 100, 200 innings this season, four more starts than any other catcher, 28 more innings coming into the week than any other catcher. And I love the fact that as hot as he was for three days, that they sat him yesterday. Yeah exactly what he needs because he's going to get another day off after the oakland series right like that's what they need to do they do i'm telling you there's a correlation between getting this guy off his feet and getting him and back. i agree and i agree with you and not to mention you have the, the 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 major leagues leader in bunt singles as his backup right so <laughs> he's played like one ninth of, of the other guys that are on that list so. he's got five bunt singles now this year mm -hmm. garrett stubbs 
pretty damn good. That's 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 pretty impressive. You know, it, it almost makes you think, Bob, when you get down into the you know the games that are, that matter a little bit more, and you get to the nitty gritty, and and you're talking about situations where you might have you know one of your platoon situations where you want to send up a pinch hitter and say you're know, going to take the lefty on, go to the righty or whatever, vice versa. If you got runners on base and there's nobody out, do you consider going to Stubbs to bunt as good of a bunter as he is? Is that a thing? Is that a possibility? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I think uh, it, you know my my overall thing here is with him that there are limitations. Yes, but man, he gets the most out of what he's got. He's a good dude. Yeah. He's awesome in the clubhouse. And it's not just like, well, he's a great clubhouse guy, so let's keep him around as a mascot. Like, he provides value to yeah. them. He's in the middle of everything when he plays. He seems like, even if it's an over t- type of day, and maybe maybe it's easy to kind of say this because you like him, but it just feels like every time he plays, he provides the, the some play, value. The, def- the defensive game. play he makes on Corbin Carroll's bunt yesterday is incredible. Yeah. I mean, that, excellent play. Huge it, play. It, it, probably preserves the the lead for yeah. them. Uh, you know, if, if he doesn't make that play, you assume, I think, that Arizona ties. I agree. Game. I agree. So, I mean, I mean, you know, he does things that matter and and that make a difference. So, um, yeah. that was a very good find. For by sure. Them. For sure. And the last thing on the Phillies, before I get to my one last thing, just to mention, how about Alvarado the other night? How many times he, he broke 100? Like 16 straight pitches. Holy hell. That's something else, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is something else to have that kind of to have that kind of weapon. Um, I know that they had the the hiccup with Dominguez on Wednesday night, but we've been saying it. I'm going to stick to this. This bullpen is the strength of this team. Yep. That starting pitching, you know, finds some consistency here, and it it has found its footing in June. That continues. That bullpen's going to thrive. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be really good. All right. The one last thing we got to get into something that I think both of us are going to be a little bit angry about. Did you see Rob Manfred's comments yesterday about the whole yes. thing with Oakland? Yeah. Have you ever seen a more tone deaf individual in a power position in your lifetime? Because well, the things that I he mean, said, Bob, were so anti fan. Everything he said was a criticism of the fans. It's like, what are you nuts? You're telling your you're telling your clientele that they suck. <laughs> That's basically what you're doing. Like, what the frig is he thinking? Oh my god! Baseball should be embarrassed that this guy is in charge of the of the sport because every step that he takes, he steps in. He steps in. He steps in a big old pile of shit because he is terrible speaking to the public it goes back to the very beginnings that he got in there you could talk about how he talked about the the world series trophy doesn't matter right uh like oh, shiny shiny piece of metal. metal right like that whole thing like everything this guy says is a disaster well not only does he take a, a swipe at the fans essentially but then also he essentially lied about yeah, the, the Oakland negotiations thing, yeah. and the deals in place and he's trying to back the owner fisher it's it's a mess I, I don't know. Like I've seen some some people say like Oakland doesn't deserve a team. This is a natural a natural happening. I don't. I'm not going to pretend to know the Oakland market. I'm not going to pretend to know what that fan base truly is. I know that. 
I, I've seen teams in other sports leave. I know that it's about money. I know that being in Las Vegas is much more palatable to an ownership group than than being in Oakland. And I I get it. And you're you're trying to maximize your your money because for that these guys it's what it's about. I can acknowledge all those things, and I can also easily feel sorry for for the fan base. I I just sometimes I feel like these leagues commissioners they make it harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. You can just say what it is, you know, like. We didn't like the deal in Oakland. We don't like what the city did. That that spurred this. Then we saw an opportunity that made a lot more sense. Guy has the right to pack up and leave, and he's going to do it. And it sucks for the fans. I understand why the fans are upset. And people aren't going to be happy with those comments. But to, to kind of take a shot, for what? Yeah. It's so I mean, it takes a shot at academics. That was the other thing too. Like you think yeah, the studies that yeah. were done. Academics have been wrong before. Yeah, like, and... Come on. Like it's like, dude, this is like legitimate questions. Like just answer the question. Don't don't be so passive aggressive and and just dismissive of of the people that yeah, matter. Like, it's almost like a how dare you waste my time by by asking me these questions, by bringing this just, up. He's just literally I, I've never seen a worse commissioner in sports and i and there have been some bad ones there have been some really really bad ones because i can't imagine you're real high on gary no i don't i think he's terrible i think he's i you know for there are things that he's brought to the sport that have been good but i think that there are things that have that he's done that have held back the the nhl significantly are are you longing for the days of bud Selig? you know what the thing about it was i didn't think bud Selig was all that great but in retrospect like he was significantly better than this guy. Like significantly better than this guy. And so yeah, I would rather Bud Selig be in charge than than Rob Manfred. That's how it's he's the worst commissioner I've ever seen. It, it's I was so I, my blood boiled when I read those comments. And it has not I have nothing to do with the Oakland A's. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. But it, but just reading it like, what are you saying? Like, what are you saying to the fans by this these comments? You're basically telling fans that they don't matter, that they don't right. that you don't care about them. Right. What a terrible, terrible business leader he is. Yeah. So that was my one last thing. Um, uh, listen, I'm with I'm with you. I, I I fully hear you on that. All right. Well, uh, unfortunately, a negative note to close out an otherwise positive show. Yeah. A fair and balanced pro Aaron Nola. <laughs> anti-Aaron Nola result podcast. Yeah. Um, so Phillies have three games in Oakland this weekend. Uh, I, I suspect that that ought to go well. We will see. Uh, we have been down this road before with the Phillies. Just when you think that things are finally trending upward, they, they have a tendency to kind of have that magnetic force pull them back down to where we're going to meet on Monday and say, come on, man. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, so for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. You can, and I meant to do this at the beginning of the show, which is when we really ought to be doing this. You can follow us on Twitter at UpPhillies, at AntSanPhilly, at BobWankleCB. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, if that's what it's even called, uh, and, and YouTube and all of those good places. Make sure that you're following, listening, and doing all that good stuff. And we will talk to you soon.